0: Listening to Hainai by Motsi Dabul. Episode eleven Nakaraan. Is is this working? Hello? Testing, testing, one, two, three. I- Um, I punyamas. Um, this is this is stupid. Hi, Thai. I want to tell you that I may have decided to go to Canada. I did my research, and I think there's a lot of really good editing work over that I could apply for. And nana has been really encouraging. Maybe a little too encouraging? I-, I know she just wants what's best for me, but... It's the kind of decision that isn't exactly... Easy to make. I don't know. Like, if I leave, who's gonna stay with her? Uh, you know how she gets, since. Lola died. And it's not like I can't video call her every single day, so... (sighs) Technology's amazing these days. Um, I guess it won't really be that different, except now, she'll have an excuse to get me on the phone every week, at least. Plus, you know, it's... safer. I was planning to go next year, but... Nanai seems to be under the impression that I'm going at the end of this year. I don't really know who's gonna win this one. Hi Tai. Me and Nanai got into another fight. I just don't think she gets where I'm coming from. Like when she used to tell me not to give money to the beggars down by the old church. You know I never listened. It's ironic that she's the one who taught me that virtue of generosity and gets mad when I'm, you know, generous. Sinampal right across the face. It hurt in the moment, but at least she looked guilty about it pretty much immediately. I'm fine now, though. I don't think I've seen her this mad since I was a kid. She's mellowed out, I guess. Never as mellow as you were, but still. I wish she could understand. I can't just... If you knew someone was going to die and you could stop it, why wouldn't you, right? If I could save someone, why should I hesitate? If I could have saved you... I... I hope it's nice up in heaven. How does God feel about all the Baba stuff? (laughs) Mind asking them for me? I know it's technically paganism or whatever, but... You were always good with it, and nobody can deny you were a good Christian man, so... (sighs) I miss you, Tate. All the time. I wish you'd... (sighs) I wish you'd call me back. And I sorry, I I shouldn't have bothered you this early, but so, um, Donner and I got into a fight, kind of. I had a weird dream, wandered off, spoke to an old man who I wasn't sure was dead or alive. He was staying over to make sure I was safe after I spoke to Langford, you know, the ghost in the ring I mentioned. Oh. Yeah. I spoke to Langford. Wow. (laughs) A lot's happened. Um, let me start over. I spoke to Langford, the strange man in the ring Laura and I retrieved from the antiques market. I mentioned before that there's a connection between these strange artifacts. Foci, I learned they're called. Confirmed it with him. Old magic, but not old, old. Edwardian era, if I had to guess. A bunch of rich idiots playing with forces they couldn't possibly comprehend. Somehow stumbling their way into immortality and magic and matters arcane. I spoke to Langford in a place bound by my own magic, and I helped him find the one who's been facilitating all this. All this death and destruction and blood and pain. I thought it would be safe, but this man, this benefactor, as Langford called him, the one who's been connected to every incident, he was more powerful than I anticipated. I looked, and he looked back. He said he'd destroy what was left of Langford, that he knew where to find him now. I still have the ring. I still have Langford. It wasn't safe, so Donner stayed over. Said if anything happened, he might not be able to fight in any way that mattered, but... At least... I wouldn't be alone. We were all on edge, so... I understand why he'd be upset that I up and left. Like I said, I had a dream. It was strange, almost like stepping into the world across the river, but everything was alien to me. I knew I was in Toronto, but I'd never seen it like this. I didn't feel it then, but thinking back, I think I was terrified. I don't know this place. I I don't know. It didn't feel like me, either. It did, but it didn't. There was something behind me, always. Something right behind me, dogging at my footsteps, always there, always waiting to take me. You think I'd be used to it by now. The old man I met he knew me, but I didn't know him. He said I wouldn't yet. I dunno. I'm no Monghula, no seer or soothsayer. The future is as much a mystery to me as anyone, but I still wonder. Donner found me nearby, out on the street. He was so angry. He's never... I've always joked he was grumpy, but he was never so angry as I saw him right then. His anger was new to me, but it was familiar in its way. Right then... He reminded me exactly of you before I left for Canada. Why don't you listen, Chai? Why can't you stop, Chai? Why don't you understand, Chai? Why do you keep doing this, Chai? You know what the weird part is? I'm not. Upset that he got angry. He's right, after all. I'm sure you'd agree with how many times you've given me the same lecture. How much of yourself are you willing to give until there's nothing left? I'm just upset that he left me. So, I want to tell you a story. It happened to someone I knew way back in the mid-70s. He was working for a company operating within the campus of the University of the Philippines, or UP. He always worked late shifts, was always the one to close after dark, always seen as reliable by his bosses. In a country on the equator, the sun rises and sets at pretty much the same time all year. And by the time this man closed up shop, it'd be near midnight. Which was dangerous with the, um, curfew. Especially in Yuppie, back when the entire country was under a bloody dictatorship. But he did it anyway. He had such a genial demeanor about him. It was like its own magic. People liked him, they trusted him, and more than once he got himself out of trouble simply by talking, by being agreeable. His wife always worried his luck would run out one day, but even he wasn't stupid enough to be out after midnight, in the very least because none of the jeepney routes dared risk that either. Jeepneys, a remnant of the World War II days commonplace around the country, would always make stops around the campus, so he was well acquainted with their schedules. He'd leave at 10.30, take the last jeep, arrive home at 11 without fail. There was one night that was different, though. One night, he got on the last jeepney, like usual. It was beautiful, vibrant red, painted so bright it was visible even in the dead of night. The driver gave him a friendly enough nod in the rear view as he paid, and the man had one arm hitched over the back of the long, cushioned bench, feeling the night air on his face as they went down one of the UP's rounded roads. The second time the man looked up, he saw the driver's eyes fixed on him in the mirror. His pupils were pure black, so dilated they stood out stark against the whites of his wide eyes. When the driver saw the man look back, his eyes went right back to the road, and the man wondered if the long day had him on edge. He thought that for about as long as it took for the driver to hit a familiar intersection and turn left instead of right. Excuse me, he said. My stop is that way. He was genial, agreeable. He feared what the driver would do if he was otherwise. The driver said nothing. The man didn't know what to think as the jeepney driver circled around, drove them right back the same roads, eyes flitting between the rearview mirror and the road. It took an entire twenty minutes to near where the driver had changed direction. The man, sat at the very back of the jeep, made the decision right then. If the driver turned left once more, he'd have to jump. It would hurt, and he'd probably get cut up on the asphalt in the process, but if this driver didn't do something that hurt him, then the time the man would spend trying to get home on foot until curfew enforcers picked him up absolutely would. As they neared the intersection, the driver spoke suddenly. Please don't jump, Kuya, he said. He sounded terrified, but sincere. His eyes were fixed on the rear view, and the man thought he saw tears. And when they arrived at the intersection, the driver turned right. It was eleven by then. When they finally arrived at the man's stop... All the lights were off. He had to navigate by the distant, intermittent lights of passing cars. "Guya," said the driver as he was about to disembark. In the mirror, when I looked at you, you had no head. And the man understood. Thank you, Manong," he said. "My wife is a Babylon," he added. "When you get home, burn all your clothes." The driver looked relieved, nodding seriously at the man's words. With one last wave, he pulled away, his beautiful, blood-red jeep rounding the corner. When he got home, the man locked the gate behind him and removed all his clothing before entering the house. He set his clothing on fire in the garage, the smell alerting his wife. All he said when she came and draped a towel over his naked body was, (laughs) I like that shirt. She had him stand in front of a mirror, looking for signs. Then she wrapped his head in steamed water in a pot beneath him, cleansing him with oils. He slept well that night. The next night, he took the same route, in a different jeep, a different driver. Nothing unusual. It took him another two months before he saw the red jeep again, and the driver in it was not the same one he spoke to that night. When he got to speaking with a young man that was at the wheel, he learned that the driver he'd met had come home one night and burned all his clothes, which made his family worry. But then he'd been all right for a few weeks. Then one night, his Jeep broke down after his last stop. He tried to get home on time, but he'd been out past curfew. They only found his jeep. The omen of death, it seemed, had been for him. Not my father. My tatae. <sighs> or maybe the omen had nothing to do with it. Maybe it was just bad luck that he ended up being one of the many who disappeared under the Marcos government. They never found his body, so... My wrist doesn't even hurt anymore. It might be the meds kicking in, though. Um, what about you? Murphy? Wasn't he gonna be spending time with Ashvin? Okay, well, as long as someone's looking out for you, and you can make sure he doesn't do anything stupid. He's still recovering, too, after all. Um, give him my regards. I'll be fine, I promise. No, it's okay. Last time you stayed over, we had an argument and didn't see each other for a month, so I'm not risking that for now. Hey, better safe than sorry. Yeah, see you soon. I'm not. Um, be safe. Thank you. There we go. Let's Jen? there. Yes. Ooh. Oh, what? Oh, man. Hi, Nai. Sorry. Uh, Butt dial, I think. Um... Well, guess you might as well know, we just killed George Langford for the last time. It it feels wrong. We didn't have a choice, mind you. He was... he was mad by the end. Took over someone who has the gift, has a connection to magic. Just like me. Well, not exactly like me, but someone who can do what I do. It's a relief to know someone, to... Have someone like that to help. I don't know how much you heard, but I just sent Donner off to recover. He got banged up pretty bad during our fight with Langford, and Murphy's staying the night so they could check on each other. Murphy and I got bruised up the usual way. <laughs> I have a scar now, where Langford grabbed me by the wrist, li- like a healed burn. Murphy got thrown against the wall. Some bad bruising around the back, but given time, it'll heal. He's just gonna have to spend more time sleeping on his front, I think. Donner, uh, I I don't know. I thought, he doesn't have marks like me and Murphy do. He says he's just tired. I thought, he died. Langford sent him what looked like a death blow, but after all was said and done, he was fine. I shielded him, and he protected me, and... I I don't know. I wish we didn't have to kill Langford. George. uh, I'm so used to calling him Langford that I'm still trying to process his real name. Um, George May. I know there was more than one member of their strange magical country club, their little anti-death cult, but he was the only one we knew that was against their leader? Their benefactor. What information he gave us was invaluable, but there's still so much we don't know. George May helped me find the benefactor's magic once. I'd know him by the stench of it if I was ever unlucky enough to encounter the man in person, but I wouldn't even know where to begin to look. Me and the others are going to meet up and plan around finding him based on what records we were able to gather. From Lang, uh, from George May, from the man he possessed, whose power and knowledge is more than even he expected, Ashvin Bihari. From Evelyn, our-, our young friend, who's put way more time into research than I expected. From Donner and Murphy's past cases. From every new focus me and Laura might be able to dig up. It's hard to fight blind, but we're more prepared now than we've ever been. At least, I hope so. (laughs) Donner's favorite song. I know I keep making old man jokes, but he makes it too easy. Good old jazz and blues. It's the kind of thing that I would have loved to play on the sound system back home. Right, Nay. about someone who has treated you so nice and kind. Hope you're not too lonely. Ira said she's visiting soon. Give her my love. I asked her to give you mine. <sighs> we'll see each other soon. <laughs> I I promise. Miss Ynai Love you that The blues so bad tell them man a man I want to see You're listening to Ynai by Motsi Dapul
1: Hey everyone! Welcome back! This is Reg Helly, co-creator and co-producer of Hainai. Hainai is a podcast produced by Motsi Dappel and me and licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial share-alike 4.0 international license. Today's episode was written and directed by Motsi Dapple, who also plays the role of Mary de Tuin. We hope you guys like this episode. Not quite starting the Act 2 journey yet, but that's okay because we still definitely loved hearing Mary's stories and her phone calls to her mom again. We have bigger things in store for Act 2, with some new mysteries to unravel and new characters to meet, so to help support the production of all of that, you can buy us a milk tea at Coffee or subscribe to our Coffee Gold at dot com slash HainaiPod. That's ko-fi.com slash HainaiPod. Or you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash HainaiPod. You can also check out official Hainai merchandise on Redbubble Store at redbubble.com slash people slash pod. We are making some big changes to these channels, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Hainai is available on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. You can find the links to these channels along with news and updates on our official blog, HainaiPod.tumblr.com. If you get to listen, leave us a rating and review while you're at it. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at HainaiPod.